Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. This is a bit of a first for us. It's our first recorded quarantine podcast over the internet through using Zoom and a bunch of other things that we've done so far. Just for anyone who is interested in this, uh, yeah, we're using Zoom for the video and clean feed for the audio because it just gives us the best quality sound we can get. What we've tried to aim for is the best quality sound we can get whilst recording remotely. So hopefully this is still good enough for you. Yeah, that being said, there are so many variables that come into it, which are internet connection and how um, and the guest, it can depend on what their microphone is, what headphones they have. Um, so the quality is going to be different on every single episode. So if you are the kind of person that gets annoyed by audio, um, and we know those people exist because they've sent us messages in the past saying, I don't like your audio on this episode. <laughs> uh, if you're one of those people, the next few weeks of podcasts probably aren't for you. If you just like really amazing content and inspiring stories from amazing people, then carry on listening. Yeah, we've got your back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're doing our best. And I mean, and I think that's that's all anyone can do during this time is is their best and a lot of people are being really resourceful yeah i think that resourcefulness is really shining through at the moment it's amazing to see like even what tv shows are doing like there's certain celebrities who've been given their own tv shows where it's just a camera's been sent to their house and they're just recording a show about whatever they want and it's on primetime tv they're really making the most out of what's available to them at the moment so apparently at the moment the stats for podcasting have actually gone down apparently uh listenership is is lower at the moment um, but I think like now's the time to listen to podcasts because they like there's there's really not that much going to be changed for podcasts. Like I would rather not watch that crap version of TV that's kind of it's going to be fine and it's going to be a substitute that's going to get you through. But like for me, it's like podcasting is, is pretty much unchanged. So I'm still listening to a lot of my favorites um, and realizing that, yeah, they're recorded remotely, but really there's there's not much difference. Yeah, I think one thing that's great about podcasts is the fact that it's a learning tool. And I feel like at this time, it's a really great opportunity to learn new things, to gather new information, to improve on your skills, to get that bit of motivation you need to just get started on that project that you've been thinking about for a long time, but haven't quite committed to. Yeah, motivation seems to be the number one thing that's coming up over and over again in the messages that we're getting from people. But as, as we've mentioned before, like there's there's not one way to feel about this and whatever you are feeling is completely valid. So maybe you're not going to be as motivated as you were when you're working normally, because maybe now you've got your kids with you or whatever the situation, like you've had to move back to your mum's house. Like, and I know how fucking annoying that could be. <laughs> like, like whatever it is that you're going through, then that could have a real effect on your motivation. So I think for me, what it's been doing is like setting myself little tasks and it's like getting the win because you achieve the task. What I found really useful as well is variation. So instead of just kind of waking up in the morning, I feel like I have to complete one thing today, try and split that down to lots of little pieces. So I might kind of like wake up, edit a photo, um, kind of sit down, do some podcast editing, 
then like send some emails out to try and get some new guests then maybe do a drawing and then just kind of like have lots of little bits across the day that really split it up and it makes it so it's not so intense because this is quite an intense time because it is just you kind of isolated with whatever you're working on so speaking of intense you booked in lucy for this week's episode and you did text me but i didn't see the text so a couple of days before we recorded the interview i saw it in the calendar and i was like oh my god so i actually read lucy's book in a day uh, wow. so i had you, you know when i say read i mean uh, listen to listen it on to, audio yeah yeah it was so intense is is the only word that i can describe like so obviously i as you know i listen to my audio at, at twice double speed yeah i bought lucy's book put it on double speed and i was painting and listening and and kind of i kept a notepad by the side of me so i was um scribbling notes because i was actually time lapsing on my phone normally take my notes on my phone but my phone was out of action because it was time lapsing uh the painting that i was making and i literally sessioned lucy's lucy's book in a day and it was so good to then talk to her the next day because i had like i had her entire book i just read it and it was all fresh in my head yeah brilliant so on a note of teething triples with remote podcasting like this was the first one that we'd actually done and i actually missed the first couple of minutes off the start of this recording so you actually join us a couple of minutes into this episode um, but you didn't miss too much off the start no basically what we were talking about in the beginning is the the moment that lucy caught herself basically she was under her duvet um, scrolling through pictures of people that she knew and comparing herself to them and um, this whole episode is about comparison and and like how destructive and and bad it can be and it wasn't until Lucy so kind of like sometimes we need those big moments for things to happen that you're just like oh my god what am I doing yeah I know for Claire Pooley who who's been on the show before for her it was when she was drinking wine out of a a mug that said world's best mum on it um, <laughs> that was when she realized that she had a problem with alcohol so like sometimes we we don't realize if it's just these incremental bad things that we're doing to ourselves and it's only when something like monumental happens and and that's all we discussed in the first few minutes so yeah if you've ever had any problems with comparison or you're something you're suffering with at the moment this will be such a valuable episode for you lucy sheridan is the world's first and only comparison coach which is a good job that she's invented for herself because then she can't compare herself to any other comparison coach. <laughs> um, she helps her clients work out their own definition of success and teaches them how to kick the habit of constantly comparing themselves to others. This one's one of those episodes that you're going to want to listen to twice. It's packed with so much valuable advice on how to kick out the thief of joy. In this episode, we talk about questioning success, courage over bravery and chasing perfection watching other people grow and develop there'll be people that aren't necessarily perhaps as good as you gifted as you like lovely as you whatever attribute you want to use and they're doing it so i it, it's almost like that it's such a sophisticated form of self-sabotage it's like if it can't be perfect then i can't do it hi lucy hey how you doing welcome to the show thanks for having me we talk a lot in the show about the, the wonderful opportunities that have come up for so many people when something huge has happened in their life. It's just kind of made them reassess whether it's like getting yeah. unemployed or or someone dying or and, and you just realise, okay, I've got one shot at this and and that can really propel you forward. You mentioned your your big moment was was kind of yeah, catching yourself, almost like I guess like looking in on yourself underneath yeah. the duvet. Yeah. Like scrolling. Um but interestingly you don't advocate for complete cold turkey of social media, do no. you? 
No, I don't. And, and that's because, and I'll, I'll preface this with a couple of things. That's because social media is only going one way. You know, we thought kind of we, it found a level and then suddenly TikTok's here. And like that was supposed to be for 15s and under. Oh, no, no, not under lockdown. <laughs> um, but yeah, social media is only going one way in terms of its presence, the variety, how much we're, we're on it or not. And that's down for us to define for each of, you know, ourselves individuals. If we can learn to manage it and be responsible for how we participate in it, that again, then it can become a very, very different place for us. So just as much as we actively have to follow things we can of course unfollow them and that's the right thing to do but it's not just about that we can and should be crowding our feeds with the sort of things that we do want to stimulate and entertain us as well i'll preface this next bit when it comes to maybe not advocating for a digital detox with just a few points which are that social media is only going to continue to go one way i think all the apps have been created and then more and different one pops pop up for us to um, to have a go on or to start building a presence on, start building a body of work on for many of us that are creatives ultimately. If we can start to remember that we can manage and very proactively become responsible for what is happening on those feeds, whether it's the time that we spend on them, the people we're following um, them, how we interact, just to keep it really jargon free, will totally transform our relationship with social media. So it's little things, so in terms of the how, it's little things like no pre-wee scrolling. You should not be checking in on social media when you haven't even answered the call of nature, right? So get your whole morning routine sorted before you open those apps. That means that you'll meet the, you'll meet the world at least in your kitchen or at the front door rather than at the end of your bed. That makes a really big difference. It's also a I'm case of like, are you, okay, right, well, I'm going to start bugging your phone. I'll stay checking. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a case of it's not just a case of unfollow purge and call and this weird language we use around social media by the way but that's a whole different topic it's not just a case of unfollow and hiding things flood your feeds with the things that make you feel good whether that's golden retriever puppies or it's kind of a new um you know a new photographer you've recently come across the work of you want to follow accounts more like that like it's about becoming more proactive about what we're seeing, the amount of it and how often too. Nobody kind of like forced these apps into our hands. We each one day had to go on, get a username, get a password and sign in. And there it starts. But ultimately, yes, take time off the app, apps when you need to. Do exactly what you need to do for your creative duties to flow and for your mental health to stay as stable as it can. But ultimately, it doesn't have to be about kind of pressing the emergency button every time it gets too much. Why do we have to keep building things up for things to become an emergency and then pull back again? That's not sustainable. And again, if you're in this for the long game, do you really want to feel like you're controlled by a, a number of apps that, you know, are going to, you know, really influence how you're creative you're being or the ideas you're having or how connected you're feeling with your work ultimately? I know I don't. What if you've got a mate and mm. you're, you love them and you're yeah. happy for their success, but every time something pops up on your feed, it triggers something inside you. What yeah. should you do then? So this is where I do think the unfollow can come in to be used as a short-term tactic. Remembering that your mate, like I said, there's a friendship there, there's a connection there. Like Your friendship does not live and die by whether you follow each other on social media or not. So this is where I think you can unfollow. So this is, I quite often say, uh, in this case, you can mute them because often an unfollow yeah. might cause a bit of 
relationship struggle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you can mute grid now, can't you? Not just stories so on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. That's the case. Yeah. So a mute or a hide is the is the best way to go on this, perhaps rather than a follow. But, um, but what I wanted to ask you, because I was thinking about the fact that I mute people, is that the answer to the problem, or is that just masking it? Because Adam's king of the mute. Yeah. All my... <laughs> He's like nothing on his feet. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably puppy. muted right now. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, of course it does, because it's masking the fact that you're being triggered by your mate. So with that in mind, you don't just mute them and think, oh, that's it sorted. Yeah. You mute them and you think, how can I work on this area in myself such that I'm robust enough to bring that back into my feed at any point? There's no rush for that too. Um, and it's also about making sure you stay really connected with people off the grids as well or, or off social media in that it's really easy to compare ourselves to what we're seeing on social media. But like what's happening in WhatsApp or what's happening in the pub or what's happening kind of when you get together to actually hang out and go and do something on a Saturday where the relationship lives. And once you're feeling connected there and tethered to that pal, it becomes just the stuff they post on social media it just becomes like wallpaper, really, because it's like you you're reminded of the connection you actually have rather than worried about the perceived separation there might be. It kind of goes back to that easy breezy, like cool, yeah, relaxed. Keep it neutral. Just yeah. stay in neutral. Exactly. And and this is comparison, but don't you always love that person that can always just be cool about everything? Like I'm always like, oh, I want to be like that. That person is just like, yeah, it's yeah. all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We're cool. yeah. And the thing is, we'll often all play that role. We all have that, the possibility within us, but there'll be some days when we just feel in our, we are feeling a bit uptight. We are in comparison. There'll be other days when we're that supportive. Don't worry. It's all right. I've got you. Lean on my confidence in you if you can't see it for yourself. We can't always play that role for everyone. What could you do if you know someone who deals with this problem, but you don't necessarily feel it yourself, but you know someone else who could benefit from this? How would you approach that with someone? Well, sensitively, because it's not anyone else's job to heal themselves or develop themselves, but themselves. Mm -hmm. So if it's um, useful to share tips and they're open to it, first of all, it's asking their permission to give them, give them a bit of help. Can I share a view with you, for example? But I think a really big part in helping people is empathy because something that comes up with my clients, and I state this in the book as well, is that they start the conversations with me with, this sounds really stupid, I'm just being silly, you're going to think I'm dead weird, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, and then they tell me what they really want to say. So one of my um, considerations or one of my conditions is that nothing you ever say is silly. If you feel it, it's real. Mm. So in our rush to help and fix sometimes, we just steam over all the emotions that are so vulnerably shared. Or will, um, oh, don't we just do this because it's practical. It's like, often like, my clients, I'm smart. My clients are smart. My comparison has nothing to do with my brain. It all happens below the neck. It's all to do with my relationship with myself, my connection with myself, how insecure I feel. And that is emotional. It's not just the brain. So what's really important in helping someone is sharing some empathy rather than like, oh, I'll just fix this for you. Not valid. Haven't got time. Just fix it. You're not helping them wallow, just helping them express. And that's a really good part of moving through it too. If you become a safe place for them to be vulnerable, not only are they willing to kind of share how they're feeling about comparison, they're probably willing to share about what they want to do about it next. And I think that's really important is there's, there's a lot less of a taboo than they used to be. But often I think it's kind of people feel belittled or like they're being silly yeah. for even experiencing it when it, they're not. There's nothing broken about us for feeling it. So on that note, how did you find your first client and how did you deal with your first client? 
Um, well, when I turned on the comparison message, and just to share a little bit of a view on it, I kind of, I left, I used to work in the ad industry and I left one role partly out of need. But anyway, that's the time. I left one role and I thought, well, I've got this certification. I'll start taking, I'll, I'm, I used to be a planner, so I'll start taking on strategy projects and I'll also do type coaching on the side because let's see what can come of this. So my first client came from the fact I decided in my messaging was really clear. It's the comparison coach. There are plenty of, this was a time when the wellbeing industry, when my industry yeah. back then was like really young, really burgeoning, very, very London centric. I was living down in Brighton then, so I had more access to it, but it was like very, very London centric. And so it was a niche of a niche of a niche ultimately. But by kind of setting the message up, as in this is what I do, this is all that I do, and this is only what I do, I was able to speak a lot on the topic. And it was really, really clear in terms of the messaging. So my first client actually found me because I gave a few, I found through the Twitter handle journal request, I managed to get a free bit of press in the evening standard. And then someone read it on the tube and then emailed me the next day. And I remember it so well, I was like, oh, I think I might have a client. Oh, I'm really going to have to do it now. So that's how they found me. Partly was because I just was so repetitive about what I was doing, which often felt like I was just screaming into a vacuum sometimes. Because when you start something seriously in the early days, it, there are a lot of moments I was in like, is anyone actually listening? Like, are they? Not just with the validation, but like, as in, I genuinely want to help. I'm like, what's going on here? So they came in almost like that circumnavigated through that way. And then when they kind of came to work with me, I always have a conversation with the client about like, where are you at? Where do you want to be ultimately? Because I'm not registered. I don't have any therapeutic qualifications. So if a client needs a more therapeutic intervention, I will refer them to a psychologist and then they'll come and work with me. And that's happened a number of times. But from the conversation, it was clear that coaching was appropriate was because it's about the now and the future. And um, they wanted to work on the topic of not comparing themselves in their relationship. They compared their relationship a lot to people in there. We kind of took it from there, actually. As in people when comparing their relationships to other relationships that other people yeah, have. That's right. Yeah. She was engaged and she was comparing her relationship to other people. I can totally relate with the um, beginning of a business and screaming into yeah. the void. It's yeah. so difficult. And you're, you feel like you're the only one that, that yeah. sees that this is a thing. And, and also because you, when you do first start, you obviously everyone starts from zero. So you have no kind of social proof to back you up. So I think that's a really smart way that you went about things because your social proof came from this is good enough for the evening standard to print it. Therefore, this must be good advice. So that gave people confidence. But I think yeah. it's so difficult in those early stages when people look at your follower count and they they equate that to your value and they go well you've got 14 twitter followers so you can't be that good of a coach yeah how got, yeah. how do you get yeah. how do you get through those early stages i think you have to declare it this is i you know established if it's 60 days ago and you've got 100 followers that's pretty good if it was 6 years ago and you've got 100 followers it's like did you lose your login <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um so it's i declare it i would say, be honest like established 2 months ago this is a growing account to support the work of me and my photography or my illustration or my agency or my digital output Please follow along with this journey. It's the early stages. There should be some bloopers. Or like, It'll be worth your while. I think it's about declaring it. These days, people know new accounts take a while to grow. If you're growing an account or a social media platform after the algorithm, basically when the algorithm really kicked in, so let's, you know, it, we all know it's a thing. So from 2016, 15, 16 afterwards, if you're growing an account after that point, like, that is gnarly. Like, welcome to boot camp of yeah, connecting yeah. on social media. It was a piece of piss 
to get thousands of followers before then. Let's we know because there are loads of accounts that are only just all right now, you know, and the quality's shot up as well because everyone keeps entering social media, which is so brilliant. But it was a piece of piss to grow an account before then compared to now. I'm not saying those accounts didn't grow from quality and from commitment and hard work. I am not saying that, so don't at me. What I am saying is if you chose to start an account after then, you started from zero, if you've got any followers at all, they're hard won because the dynamics are very, very different. And that is, they're just the facts. So yeah. if you are in the early stages, be honest about it. Start, be, show that personality early on. Better than buying a load of followers and it's obvious being really, really obvious. Yeah. Going back to kind of like when you first left working advertising to go and work for yourself, did you have an FOF? Because I've heard you say this before and I love that phrase. Um, no, which is why it was uh, really nerve-wracking. Um, I wish I had done, but um, no, I didn't have a fuck-off fund. But what I did have was I was able to what's call a, What's an FOF? So an FOF is a fuck-off fund and that is when you basically save three months of salary or three months of um, your salary or money to cover your costs for three months to set yourself up so you can leave without having like you could leave on the spot and not have to worry about the ramifications like you can still cover your rent that kind of thing cover your phone bill I didn't at the time but that said shit, and I've been very transparent about this but one of the reasons my push came to shove was that um before I about nine months about a year before I started my business my husband was running a digital agency then, who was my partner then, but he's my, husband, my boyfriend then, he's my husband now. Um, and, it, and it went under and we lost our house. So like the worst thing we thought could have happened, happened, lived it. And um, I had to move in. We all, dog, steps on at weekends, had to move in with my mum and dad. So I didn't, I kind of was in another role. I kind of went into another role while that was all happening. And we were just starting from scratch. So I left before my effort. I'd left without an FOF, but I was able to build a fund to then, we were in Leeds and we moved to Brighton just because I was working for myself and like need does a lot for your motivation, doesn't it? Whoa, amazing yeah. how resourceful you become when you've got to, when there just isn't like money popping into your account on the fourth Thursday of every month or whenever it is. But no, but I am a really big advocate of that fund because I think a lot of us don't move on plans or don't move on making the choices that we know if we're brave will really return for us. It's like, oh, because of this. And it's like, well, what if all that's covered? What if you could live, could eat, could pay your phone bill? What could you do? It just, it takes so much pressure off. So when I, when I did leave, I knew that I was going to have to earn something though. So because I had a 90 day notice period, mm -hmm, I didn't go on gardening leave. There were a lot of meetings I didn't <laughs> go to, but I basically was like on a reception. But anyway, that's another time. But I, had 90 day, uh, I had 90 day notice period, which meant that I was like leaving work on time. Whereas normally I'd be working till like seven or eight. Yeah. I was leaving work at like half five. That gave me two hours every day to be contacting people and saying confidentially, you know, have you got any projects coming up? There's my day rate. I've worked with you before. You know, if there's anything I can pick up, let me know. I'm not precious. I'm just trying to get this going. And because I'd like been, I've always been very relationship focused. I've been through my whole career, whether I was like working at TK Maxx when I was 16 or, you know, right through to kind of more corporate level work, corporate stuff. Um, so I was able to reach out and start building those connections. So people would get me in on stuff, like even late on. Or um, like I've gone to Squarespace and just built my website in a weekend, that kind of thing. Had these little pockets of time, which may not have equated to cash, but they was like it was. It had a lot of equity, a lot of value for me. So 
I didn't have the FOF, but I was able to provide myself way more certainty for what I was able to get through the time that I wasn't then committed to the agency projects anymore. One of the most interesting things about the book is I think you get people to work out when they, I think you phrase it like when they didn't feel like themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting concept that I hadn't really thought of before, but it's so true, isn't it? That we we have a sense of self and there are certain things that shake that and things that people say that can make us lose that. How do you guide people through that? Yeah. Well, very sensitively, because once you are ready to look at this, like you, you're really into the comparison work because you're looking, it's not like questioning everything, but question things so in terms of where your beliefs come from whether you have for example inherited what your goals are like do you get that because like a parent wanted you to do that or do you actually want to do that have you um have your goals become outdated like what you wanted in your 20s like different to 30s and so on let's keep it age neutral but once you are looking at what your beliefs are about yourself you'll soon recognize that they were kind of like that you they were they were layers that started to come into your life and overlay who you are and your personality how you present the world as a matter of like survival just like everyone wants to fit in at school but ultimately you might dim or shrink part of ourselves oh no I don't like that band I like this band do you like them I actually hate that band it's the little things like that that we learn about how to survive in social um, situations but a big part of the process is like check in on all of that not so you're exhausted and you have kind of like choice anxiety it's like check in on that just to sense check your beliefs are yours, that your goals are yours, that um, who you think you are is, is the picture of, of who you want to be rather than it be kind of just fed to you by other people. It's very sensitive. It's layer by layer. It doesn't have to be rushed in an afternoon. But once those layers start coming away, the sense of personal freedom is incredible that you can feel. So I, I suppose universally comparison has been used as like a marker for us to to work out where we stand in society. So I suppose in a way it does have a purpose and there, I, I, there's probably like caveman reasons for why we, yeah. like, I suppose it's something to do with where we're in the, where we sit in the tribe. Do, do you think it like affects who, who we put around us and like the friendship groups that we find ourselves in and the people that we associate with? I think it certainly can in, in our early years, yeah, because in terms of, like you say, with it kind of having that tribal pull, that survival, it, you know, serves that role of survival, whether it's kind of socially or otherwise. That's a really strong influence. That's a really strong pressure that a lot of us will experience. But as we get older and we get an, a view of maybe what our beliefs really are, our interests really are, our passions, we can start to then gravitate towards other people that that, that can connect with that too, like that are like-minded with us as well. But I certainly think that when, as you're growing up or even how you kind of tend to move through your career with can be really influenced by um, who you connect with and how you try to fit in there. And then sometimes when you don't feel like you don't fit in anymore, that's a really good catalyst to go and find new people or just to distance yourself from those that will only accept you if you turn up in a certain way. You know, and I think that's why a lot of people can get a bit fed up of certain workplaces or friendships even it applies across all it's like we don't all have to grow in the same way at the same pace but like I insist my pals make space for my growth and when I mess it up just yeah. like I want to make space for their growth and like where their mess ups as well because like welcomes the human race right we're all incredibly flawed thank goodness all of us are we can be, be more compassion with each other 
But it's not about like trying to change people or like, oh, we're done now because I don't think the same as you. It's a case of like, if you need to call, if you need to adjust, then absolutely fine. That's cool. But if you keep, if, I think if we keep, it sounds really cheesy, I'm life coach, i to say this, but if you keep seeking genuine connection, genuine, genuine reciprocity, you'll keep getting it. But you won't always get it from the same people, the same sources as you used to. And that's why, you know, we, we can, a lot of us will collect different groups of friends, not because we're contrary, but because we each meet different needs and parts of ourselves than others. Like if I want to, I've got like a, a gang of girls that I run with that, you know, tend to be um, like female founders. And when we're together, it's raucous, but there's a bit of, you know, talking shop. And I'm not a different person, but I'm, I show different sides of my personality than when I'm with my schoolmates from Leeds. I've known since I was 15, yeah. you know, go and eat like, you know, go underage drinking and all this stuff with. I'm not a different person in any case. I'm just showing different parts of my personality because of my connection with that person. And do you think there's a specific time when you should break away from certain friendships because they're not good for your mental health? We'll all know when a relationship starts to turn, when the banter starts feeling a little bit needly, or when um, we realise, hold on, I'm constantly starting conversations and you are so reluctant to meet up with me. Mm. Like, do I smell? Or, it, or there's just a case of you leave a situation maybe feeling drained rather than just chilled out and rejuvenated. Now, something to say here is that sometimes we'll be that person for someone else. So I say this with the greatest love and respect. It's not all about other people not being good enough for us or, you know, not having the best characteristics for our friend or whatnot. But if you notice that you don't feel yourself around other people, you don't feel safe to be yourself around other people, or that, like I say, like the banter's just taken on a turn, or that actually it's not that much fun, that's a really good time to maybe take a step back. That does not have to be a burn and destroy social media declaration. We're not, I'm confident now we can't be friends because that's a bit weird. Um, but it can be a case of, I'm mm, going to second guess if I'm actually going to go to that dinner or I'm not going to text first this time. I'm going to see what, you know, I'm going to see if there is the appetite to, for there to be the mutual friendship. Um, and it's just taking those, just creating a little bit of space around those people. Um, because sometimes it's kind of, we can, we have to tell people, we can show people you know, how, how we're feeling there. But that is to be done with sensitivity for both parties because I have been heartbroken by friendships distancing, just like I've been heartbroken by loves of my life dumping me, you know? So it's like, be sensitive around it just because it might be platonic doesn't mean there isn't a lot of love there or there wasn't great potential for a long relationship. And I know that sounds a bit deep, but I think it needs to be said because it's not just a case of like culling people out of your life. You know, it's like, be as kind as you can to them. It must act for yourself because if they're not ultimately in support of who you are and who you're trying to be in this world, it might be they're just not going to come this chapter with you. You've coached so many people um, from pop stars to Harry Potter actors to just normal, regular human beings like us. Um, <laughs> and and that really surprised me when I when I read that, you, that, that you'd coached like like celebrities so I guess this is a problem that all people or, or most people do deal with or Absolutely. suffer with. Yeah, because before a celebrity was a celebrity, they were a person that could get the tube and they did go to school and they had the same sort of, they picked up their own individual hangups like we each, we each will do. And it's a case of, you know, ultimately what you focus on expands. And if you are in the public eye, you have a lot of people focusing on you, but you also have a very clear view on what success is and what you need to look like or what your next career path should be. 
an up next step should be. And that's something we all, we all, all, all experience, but it is heightened and amplified if you're in the public eye. It's very interesting. I, I was thinking about Trump. Like, he is so unapologetically, I mean, awful, but like he, like, <laughs> We, we've got a president who like said all of those things about women that he said and yet still got into office. Whereas it seems like if a, if a normal person had said those things and, and it was uncovered, then I can't believe I'm using Donald Trump as an example. Of, like, <laughs> we're following you. Yeah, we're following we you. Need to, we need to be more Trump. But, but in, in the way that he doesn't let it, it, he's just like, yeah, I said that and that's a thing. And, but I should, and, that that kind of no fear of judgment, I suppose, is what it is, is as soon as that's gone, then you have this kind of freedom of you can do and say what you like, because people then, because you're talking about expectations that we have of celebrities, because we place what we want them to be on top of them. It's really interesting. There's There's someone that I follow who was a, well, is a graffiti artist, and his Instagram all of a sudden came became about his sex life. And he's into some pretty extreme stuff and, <laughs> yeah. and it's like but it's the sort of stuff that if you found out about that like like oh you like getting weed on like he's just there on his instagram being weed on this is no longer oh. ammunition he's loving yeah. it and i'm like yeah. and i scroll through and i'm just like oh yeah there he is again getting weed on and, and like <laughs> must be but, saturday <laughs> but it but it's crazy isn't it by by him just putting it out there of like yeah this is me that you have no ammunition anymore. Suppose what you're saying is that if there's a place for Trump and there's a place for being weed on, and by the way, how you get your kicks is totally up to you, not yourself. Yeah. Oh, as long as it's consensual, <laughs> get stuck in. Um, but I suppose what it goes to show is if, if extremes are accepted, can you not just share that you want to start a blog yeah. or that yeah. you want to um, become a professional artist or that you do want to sell that thing so you can invest in that training? If if people are really being themselves and the most out there, you know, using Air Bunny's way, isn't it time that you harvested a little bit of courage to just make a call in support of who you really are, whether people know about it or not? You know, because that's where the real power moves happen, I think, is where, well, I'm not going to put this on social media. I'm going to fucking do it, though. So you know, that's a power move. On that topic of starting, then, I know there's a lot of creatives out there who won't start because they look at someone further along in their journey and think, well, I'm not as good as them, there's no point. Someone's already done this, so there's no point. I don't have the right equipment compared to them, so there's no point in even starting. What's, what do you say to those people? Well, I would say, again, and I say this with so much love, like, if, if, if the rules of the game are that you create a body of work such that you have a body of work to show, and with that you develop your own voice, your own creative identity, and with that a career, if they're... If that's what it takes, then that's what people expect. So it shouldn't necessarily be kind of quick or easy or the, the click of fingers, because how are we supposed to develop if we're not practicing? Acknowledge the fear of failure, sure, but know that like 100% of nothing is still nothing, right? Like watching other people grow and develop, there'll be people that aren't necessarily perhaps as good as you, gifted as you, like lovely as you, whatever attribute you want to use, and they're doing it. So I, it, it's almost like that. It's such a sophisticated form of self-sabotage. It's like, if it can't be perfect, then I can't do it. It's like, yeah. okay, sure. At what cost? Because that's the stuff. And I had it. I'll, I'll out my ego in that when I, I was 
I knew the book was coming in for a while. You know, when I, that doesn't sound too idiotic. You know when you can feel ideas just coming in? They just start to float yeah. around and you, you, and you just, before you know it, you're on your laptop or you're using your stuff. Anyway, I could feel it was coming in. Um, and part of the big fire to write, it was like, hold on, I can't bear for someone else to write this book because I've put so much of my life into this topic. Mm -hmm. And so it's more, it's more than personal for me, it felt like at this time. But also, I can't bear to watch someone else have a great time with a book when I know that I've got one in there ready to go. So I need to write it, you know. And so, again, I, I was uncomfortable enough to know, right, this has just got to go. There were lots of different things that drove the book being written, but they were parts of it too. I'm quite motivated by the fear of regret. So that, for me, the fear of regret is, is always much bigger than the fear in the moment of maybe something not being very good. And if I'm known for someone that tries and learns, I'm cool with that. Because I also say to you, like, if you haven't started or you feel slow or you're being slapdash about your start, it's like the start always makes the best anecdotes. So if yeah. it feels a bit imperfect and messy or you are fucking up, great, because we can make one hell of an anecdote, baby, when you're kind of like talking about how you got your seven-figure investment into your agency or how you sold your first piece or how, you know, something your first piece went viral about whatever it is. You'll not only think about that moment, about that milestone, as you collect those, because you are rewarded for showing up for your art. That's what art does. You are rewarded for showing up for it in so many different ways. When you start collecting those milestones, you think, oh, my God, do you remember when I got shouted at by my mum because, like, I dropped my paint everywhere at 2 a.m. in the morning or whatever it is. But, you know, collecting those things are all part of your anecdote, what part of make you the artist yeah. that you are, or the creative that you are. And why would you want to skip out on those things? I think, like, if you look at the traditional story arc, you get someone who's an underdog they do lots of yeah. stuff then they win at the end that's like the perfect story if someone <laughs> started off as a millionaire and then they just carried on being yeah. a millionaire it'd be a really dull book where no one would want to follow like every Who single I? time we do a talk we mention the early days when we were in a cold garage in south london where we couldn't take our coats off till 3 p.m because it was so cold it's like it's those little stories that make you who you are and make it so it makes people see the chance that they could have that too because they're like, okay, well, they're not just this perfect that's person that's unachievable. They started from this place yeah. too. And I think oh, if you God, can yeah. find people who are relatable, that's the kind of people that people are going to connect with, not people who've just had it handed yeah. to them. Absolutely. I also think what's important because I see that I've seen this myself and clients as well is a big part of your development. So from the start, from day one, day two plus, a big part of your de development is growing to the capacity of what you want to call in. So if you want to run like a six, seven figure creative business, I'm just using numerics because they're easy to yeah. understand and lots of us are motivated by being able to have lovely lives with our families. And that's okay, by the way. But if you um, can't grow to the capacity of what it takes to hold that, if you were given it, you'd lose it straight away. Like million, like, you know, lottery winners do. You grow, you, the things you learn along the way, whether it happens for you in two months or two years or 20 years is, allow you to grow to the capacity of what you need and want to fall in. And God forbid you miss any of those steps. Yeah. Because they're what, you know, they're what allow you to kind of, you know, you invest 50 quid in like an upgrade on a mic and then you get 500 quid and you invest in something else. And then all the incremental wins that come with that further investment, numeric or otherwise, again, I'm just using money because it's an easy thing for us to understand, relatively speaking. But it's like each experience, allows you to grow the capacity of what you need to be to hold it all and be the founder mm -hmm. or be the creative. And if you don't not, it's not about earning it and about strikes. If you don't experience that, then you're 
you're you're not how you don't have the foundations in place necessarily that's because that's it what i've also noticed is and the creatives that are maybe a little bit further along and starting to see milestones come now might relate to this too getting what you want can be really scary because it will test all your shit mm -hmm. and your sabotage you know I, I had this with a client um generated this amazing meeting like amazing like 10 ndas before they were even able to know who it was with that kind of stuff i'm exaggerating but there were actually three ndas and she was nearly late for the meeting because she didn't set an alarm and she was like washing her hair on social media and it's like you don't f that stuff up but if you can't receive it when you aren't ready when you will generate the opportunity but you'll mess it up somehow and if you can't if you haven't done what's needed in your development to know okay like there's like have you read the book um the big leap by gay hendrix and no. he talks about upper limit problems oh it's amazing you've got to read it i give it to all clients when they come in cool. he talks about upper limit problems and it's, it's this idea of new level new devil so it's like just as you kind of like complete one level of development or you achieve something and you're like yeah cool it doesn't just stop there there's the acclimatization and then there's the climb to the next bit and if you aren't set for what that will require in terms of like new expectations, new energy, new, new, new and more amounts of money to receive, love to receive, relationship fulfillment to receive, you'll sabotage it because you'll hit an upper limit problem. It's fascinating. I felt so kind of seen when I read it because <laughs> it was um, so amazing. But that I think is important for creatives as well. It's like, it's not just the getting, it's the keeping it. And if you can't, if you're not in it, then you can't learn that. Our listeners love a book recommendation. So what was that book again? It's called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I will say it hasn't aged that well in that it's kind of like, you know, he talks about like playing golf with white guys at IBM and how they <laughs> like, oh, Chad from so-and-so told me. And there are quite a long, there are some long anecdotes in there. But what I would say is the premise and the principles of it still stand. I go back to it about every 10 months to a year. Also, wow. and I'll listen to it again and again. I'll get something different from it because the I won't be ruining anything by just sharing one of the principles. And that is that as far as Mr. Hendricks is concerned, is that we ultimately have like a thermostat for like joy, money, sex, friendships, health, you name it. And it's set often through life and generally he sets it out. And if you get like close to the top of it, you'll sabotage to come down. So how this plays out in real life is. I might have had a really nice afternoon with my husband and like we're giggling, having a really great time. And then like he doesn't unload the dishwasher. And so I'll pick a fight rather than thinking I'll unload the dishwasher. Something in me subconsciously has been like, well, we've reached the fun. We've reached our limit. So can't get any better than this. So I'll just do what it, I can to feel safe and go down again. It's really interesting. But um, I will say it can be quite confronting because I will, I'll sometimes leave a WhatsApp voice note with a mate now going, I'm just letting you know I'm really opening right now because of la 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 da 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 and like share them so i'm just gonna out my ego i'm just gonna say it i know what i'm doing i'm sabotaging i'm nearly sabotaging i'm not gonna do it i want to sabotage in this way i don't feel comfortable with this because it's better than i thought it was going to be and that kind of thing once you can acknowledge accept those parts of yourself you can start working with them mm. and just soothing your way through it so i spend a lot of time rubbing my heart going you're all right kid just calm it down you're all right this is new this is weird this is fresh this is amazing not going to mess it up just let's just climatize here a little bit and i have to do as a, I, i'm a company of one as well i don't know if you've read that book company of one yeah um, by paul jarvis i'm a company of one so i have to self-resource a lot i have to kind of do and that's by choice because that's the business model i follow for now and i have to spend a lot of time self-soothing like you're okay 
you're feeling brave. This is fine. This is fine. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I think one of the most important parts of the book for me, I think about it all the time, is that most people don't know what they want. And you kind of guide people through like working it, working yeah. out what it is that you want. And the, the version of success that you might see by looking at someone else's Instagram, that might not necessarily be your version of success. And you need to work out what that is. That's it. That's exactly it. And give yourself permission as well, because we're fed what success looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, go here, achieve this, be with that person, tag yourself here, buy these shoes, be doing this. And by the way, it's okay to want th those things as well. It is important to check in on them as well, though, um, because it's like what motive, you know, what motivates us should not, you know, boil down to an arbitrary checklist. Ultimately, we shouldn't just be kind of checking those, looking to check those boxes, because what we want as well will change how it looks and how it feels. And um, and it's and it's important because it, it affects how we feel on the daily to know what we're going after. And you, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, that like, make sure that you're not living someone else's success. Parental pressure or societal pressure or even, you know, an influential person in your work life um, can really shape and mould who you are. It can shape and mould um, what motivates you, where you think you want to go. But I've had this a number of times with clients where they've got to a certain point, like let's say partner in a law firm. They're like, I've not wanted to do this for a few years now. It's like, okay, cool. Glad you've got it now. How long are we going to go on for, though? And that's it. And, and that's, that can become tricky, especially when a lot of how we identify or, the, you know, our roles with the people that we care the most about, we think is wrapped up in what we do for work, too. And it can lead to some very honest, vulnerable conversations there, too. But there comes a time when you have to allow yourself to be yourself. Or let, let me be me. Yeah, Adam and I before lockdown we were doing a lot of university talks. Oh yeah. And one thing that we were finding is is pretty consistently people were coming up to us at the end of our talk and saying I'm on, I'm on this course because it's sort of expected in my family and and I'm going into what my what my parents do and they really wanted me to do this degree and yeah. and and asking us for advice which is very very hard because you don't mm. want to rock the boat but at the same time I mean almost universally our our answer was if this is not making you happy then you need to make a, a change because ultimately you cannot live your life for other people that's it and I think as well it, it's about um notice I'll never say be brave I'll always say have courage I think being brave it feels too much sometimes but can I have a bit of courage yeah I can have a bit of courage it's about having the courage to understand as you do go into those those years of adulthood and you are you are, you know, on paper allowed to make your own decisions. It's a really big invitation to start developing what your MO is um, in terms of the decisions you make. So it's not, you know, talking to the people that are involved in decisions, like, for example, like if it's pressure from parents, allow, it might be that there's, you know, you want to see the course through, but you don't want to do it. You're not sure what you want to do at the end of it. Well, there's choice in, in that for you to keep exploring. But if it is a case of, you are worried about the pressure. It's like you at that stage can make those small shifts to start creating your own identity and like breaking the cords, like, you know, that might be, might be trapping you and other people's expectations. So what's that look like in real life? Well, it might be like, oh, graduation's coming up soon. That's exciting. What are you doing afterwards? You're like, well, actually, I've lined up a bit of work experience here. And they're like, what? And you're like, yeah, I know, but I want to explore it. This is what the time is. I'm defining my career. I'm not going to make any decisions just out of assumption. You wouldn't want me to do that, would you? 
you know, and it's kind of, like I say, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a power move. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a power move that um, in terms too, but what it doesn't have to be is a big sit down of like, mum and dad, you should know that I'm going to do this, whatever, unless that feels right for you and then all power to you. But often if we make things into a drama, they, they become a drama. But if we can communicate things clearly and not expect everything to be liked, but at least know they're communicated clearly, things will start to seed. And people often, if they're expected to be given the information, they'll often, you'll be surprised, I think, about the shifts that you'll see in the space you're given to be making your own decisions. But ultimately, it's something, it's like a muscle that takes a bit of work to gain strength. And so if it feels a bit scary, it often is because it is a bit scary. If you can have a little bit of courage to look at how you can get more into alignment with yourself, then you'll start to see you'll start to see things transform, even if it's unpredictable the pace it'll go. We're back to kind of being the the easy breezy person again. Of sort of, I, I suppose people like they um, prey on weakness, don't they? So if you're okay. if you sound unsure about your decisions, then it, it's it's hanging there in the air for them to to pick apart. Yeah. And that's where it's important to have some stock, you know, phrases prepared. People are like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, well, there are a few options at the moment. But when I'm clearer, I'll let you know. Or, no. um, you know, yeah, or, you know, if people um, are like, well, haven't you made your mind up yet? I'm like, no, it's a big decision. I'm giving myself a bit more time. Anyway, where are you going on holiday? But notice the difference is that there's no apology. You acknowledge it and just shut it down. Just shut it down. And that's it. Something that's really important about anything growing in the direction that you want it to is that you may not. The, it's funny because it's conflicting in terms of like there's accountability buddies. And if I say it out loud, then I can be accountable what you also do is you kind of like show all your cards so if you can be working on things with yourself by yourself behind the scenes maybe with a few confidants it will grow much quicker and much stronger and um, whatever it is with a creative project or an idea but what you need is a few ways to just shut down those conversations not to be rude because people are just being interested but ultimately like how you feel is not available for gossip and fodder because they'll just walk off from the conversation there. You will be kind of like just staring into space like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have an answer. You know? <laughs> so you need those stock phrases to just move it on and shut it down. That's really powerful. What is the tyranny of positivity? So this is a term which is used to describe this strong, overbearing force of always having to see the upside, always seeing the opportunity and ultimately trying to live in a world where you're like skipping through a meadow. Um, because there's so much to be said for be grateful for what you have and keep going and it's everything's possible all these things are true but we're also complex human beings which will we'll be feeling more uh, we'll be feeling lots of different things at the same time sometimes too so when I say don't get caught up in the tyranny of positivity is that be positive be good to yourself build your self-esteem harvest courage go after what you want but you don't have to do it pretending it's easy or everything's fine because sometimes it's very not fine. Sometimes it's hugging a radiator, not fine. Um, especially if you're a creative and you're finding your way. There are those moments of just like, just losing it. And that's okay. You don't have to be doing it perfectly or with a massive smile on your face, whatever it is you do it. Yeah, on that note, um, one of my favorite things that you've said is um, stop borrowing drama from the future. Currently, this is something that would, would be a really good piece of advice for people. So what do you mean about borrowing drama from the future? We're resourceful and we're smart. So we'll contingency plan and we'll look to the future and we might scope out what's going to happen. We make our goals, we make our paths and we, we work on the contingencies of like, what if, what if, what if? 
but sometimes we get ourselves into this like diehard disaster movie about what's going to happen. Like not only will my career not take off, it will fail miserably in public. You know, <laughs> everyone's going to know about it. We shared on social media. We, we borrow drama from the future. It hasn't even happened yet. It's weeks off, months off, days off, whatever it is. And there we are living it right now. So what that is, it's just a bit of a wake up statement as in like, what's really going on right now? Be here now. What's going on right now? How can you make the best call that you can right now? But try not to be too much in what if, because that isn't necessarily helpful to, to get in the progress that you want to. Amazing. I think um, on that note of David's favorite thing, I think one of my favorite things you said is um, teach what you need to learn. I think that's such a powerful thing. You guys are arguably in different industries, even though both love creating content, it's a big part of what we do. But I don't know about you, but I'm very like long game focused. Like I really want to have a really rich, vibrant career. I really want to um, keep developing and that will not always be pretty. But that's something that really excites me is about the long game, about, well, seeing loads of new people coming up, of course. I'm following other people too and this imaginary kind of like flow of everyone entering. But teach what you need to learn for me is about knowing that like I'm, I have no intention or ambition to be like a guru on a mountaintop. What helps me the best I can be at my job is to remember that I am still learning. I might be reinforcing, repeating some things and that's still working. I'm finding another way to decode comparison and to help people. This isn't, this is like, this is all I do. It's my full-time gig, you know. So in case of teach what you need to learn, it's that whatever you're doing as well, have it with compassion and empathy, because I'm not so grand that I won't fall down a comparison trap again, yeah. and it'll be just as dramatic and just as damaging, and arguably there's more to lose now. There's, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be a deeper dive. So teach what you need to learn is, I think is also a bit of a rallying cry, in terms of like give great advice take take your own advice as well so for example if i find myself like tripping on comparison now, i'm like oh what should i do i'm like oh fucking hell better go back to my cup <laughs> here i am like this is embarrassing <laughs> you know but it's like going back to that i suppose i feel like as well like in the current climate it's a really powerful thing for people who are looking for what kind of stuff to do if there's not as much work around yeah. and now is a great time to learn so if you can start to teach other people how to learn because they need it too and you're learning in the whole process it's just yeah. a win-win for everyone it is a win-win and I think that's it too isn't it like we've all got something to share whether we're like one centimeter ahead of someone yeah. or we're several years down the line but something that really like motivates me around this too is like I bet if I say to us now and if you're listening remember the first person that gave you a leg up because I do I can see them now I feel quite emotional thinking about actually but the person that saw something in me that I didn't see and then started backing me and then it was like email intros to people and then advocating for me in meetings and they just basically saw something in me never ever lose the chance to be the person to give someone else a leg up my friend Laura calls it sending the lift down which I love send the lift down for someone else that's yeah. lovely like if you can like you know recommend like something off creative studio that's a you know a preset even that you use you know is going to help someone make an introduction like it's not a zero-sum game no no one can ever take anything from your well so when it comes to teach what you need to learn as well too it's like why not be the person that opened the door yeah. why not why not be the person that when they tell their story it's like well funny I sat next to Adam at a networking event and little did I know that xyz and being part of that yeah. like the karmic points that come back from that are so good too 
but you always remember the people that gave you a leg up. I do. I know them all by name, and I could, you know, I'm still in touch with some of them now. Some I'm not. I'll never ever forget the difference they made in my life. We should never ever sit on our hands around that ever, ever, ever. There's too much for all of us to gain from just helping each other out. You know, Viv Groscott calls it "lift as you climb." Oh, that's ace. Just, I yeah. love that. That's gorgeous. I love that. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you do. I think you're doing such great work. Yeah, I really, definitely. really think it's valuable. You are an expert in in this, but you became an expert just by practicing and doing yeah, and throwing it. yourself into it. So uh, let people know where they can find you online and the name of your excellent book. Um, so I suppose the best place is the gram. I'm over, over at Lucy Sheridan. And my book is called The Comparison Cure, How to Be Less Them and More You. The thing I love about your book is that it's it's not a typical book. It's really like hands-on and practical. So it's, yeah, it it's you work through things with people. I think it's really useful. Yeah, and, and maybe I can share that as well in that it's not a dense read, but if you pick it up, it will ask something of you. Mm -hmm. And that is, there's nothing to fear with that. If you don't want to compare yourself, read the book and you won't compare yourself anymore. And I'm just going to be bold and try and own that and kind of like take my own best advice on that too. It's not necessarily a quick huff post kind of like, oh, have you thought about meditating today? It's very directive, but um, pick it up, scribble in it, make it your own. That I set out when I sat down to write it. I was writing it this time last year, actually. Um, I had to hand it in around the 9th of April. You know, some dates are like ingrained in your mind. And I set out to basically distill my private coaching program into the book. And that's what I think I did. So have a pen handy when you've got it, I suppose. But thank you. That's really genuine to say that. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on. Amazing. Thank you. Guys. Yeah, that was ace. Thanks so much for listening. To get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.